Good morning. Just waiting on a few more kids to come through. I enjoy seeing them run across. But anyway, be taking your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 down through verse, or verse 14 really down through verse 17 this morning. Mark 2, 14 through 17 if you want to be making your way there in your Bible. I, I don't know about you guys, but over the years as a dad, I was thinking about this last night, we were around babies, and so I was thinking about how as the dad, you have to kind of figure out some tricks in order to survive. And I don't mean that meanly, but kids, I mean, they will get you if you let them, right? I mean, you, they, they learn how to work you. They learn how to get you to do things that you didn't even know you were going to do. Like I, the other day, they were asking me to get them a drink of water. I'm like, wait a minute. You're able to get a cup of water and put water in it. The refrigerator, all you got to do is push a little thing and it comes out. You need to be getting me a drink of water, right? I mean, but, but they, if you let them, they, they'll work you. Like my wife, thankfully she's not in here this morning. Y'all don't tell her, but, but she has a tendency if she wants something, that she, she'll say, hey, Zoe, go ask your dad if he wants this. Now, y'all have probably never had that happen to you, but I have it happen to me a lot. My daughter has these eyes, and she's like, Dad, and, and it's over. Okay, whatever, let's do it. So anyway, I've had to learn how to, to deal with my children in the way that they work me. The newest thing that they do is they're sick or they're hurt, right? And so they'll come, Dad, I, I can't clean my room, Dad. I've got I a paper cut. You know, I, 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 need, I need stitches. Or, or Dad, you know, I, my nose is running. I can't clean up my toys. I just don't feel good. And so my response has been, you know what, you're right, we should probably go to the doctor and let's get about five shots while we're there. And, and you know what, that solves the problem every single time. And I know some of you have used that, haven't you? Those of you whose kids are, are still teeny tiny or you don't have kids, you're judging me, you're like, how could you do that to your children? Wait till you got kids. And then you'll understand. You'll be like, what did he say that time? Yeah, kids are scared of shots. Use, it. Use what you got. You've only got so many tools in your toolbox. But, but anyway, that, that's mean, right, to, to threaten shots to, to children and taking them to the doctor and all those things. And the reason it's mean is because, I mean, you don't take kids to the doctor if they're not sick. Just like you, you yourself wouldn't go to the doctor if you're not sick, right? I mean, you go to the doctor and you're like, hey, doc, I tell you what, I've just missed sitting out there in the waiting room all day and sitting back here in this room for a couple hours. I just want to come by and hang out, right? We never do that, do we? And so, so we don't go to the doctor unless we actually have something wrong with us. I mean, what, what doctor ever, if you go to him and you're sitting there and he's like, why are you here today? And you're like, well, actually, I'm sick, would say, how dare you come to me when you're sick? I can't believe you get out of this office. We only see well people in this office. That'd be crazy, right? But, but if I'm honest this morning and if we're honest with ourselves, I think sometimes that's what we do as churches. We begin to look at people who have sin in their lives and we say, no, we don't treat sinners here, only the righteous. No, we don't take care of those who are hurt and sick here, only those who are well. When Christ has called us to be, basically, as you've heard it said before, a hospital for sinners, we, we have sort of taken it backwards, right? We say Christ came to call the righteous, not the sinners. When in fact, he said, I came to call. The sinner, not the righteous, to repentance. I came to, to call the sick, not the well. They don't need a physician. The sick do. And so, so this morning, I, I want to come back to this idea of our unexpected Savior 
I don't feel like we, we finished this before whenever we were talking through Jesus. And, and just look at the way that Jesus turns upside down, turns up on our head, basically, this idea of what grace is, this idea of what being a Christian is, this idea of what following Christ is all about. Because I, I just know that there are some of us here in this place this morning who when we look at other people who are struggling, who are hurting, and we see their sins, we begin to crinkle up our noses. We begin to say, man, they need to get their act together. They need to get their life right. And then I'll talk to them about Jesus. And then there are others of you here this morning who are thinking that. As you're struggling, as a believer, you come to church, you say, you know, I got some stuff in my life that I really need to deal with. I got some stuff that I really need to, to handle and I really need some help, but I'm scared to mention it to anyone at church because the church is for well people, it's not for sick people. And while we don't intentionally communicate that message, it seems like very often in churches, it's like those who actually need help are afraid to share. We, need, we must get back to this place where we understand Christ has come to call the sinner, not the righteous, to repentance. And so as we look at this passage this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, we see that Jesus has this unexpected grace, this unexpected grace for sinners, for people who don't have it all together. And so, and I know if you've been here very long at all, you've heard me talk about this on a regular basis. You've heard me talk about grace for those who actually need grace on a regular basis because this is something that we need to be reminded of constantly. And so Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And as he, he being Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Father, I pray that you would use this time, God, that you would use these moments for your glory, that you would use this time to to change our hearts and change our lives. Lord, that we'd be able to see your grace this morning. We'd be able to understand your salvation and what it means to be forgiven by you. Lord, I pray that you would change our minds and our hearts when it comes to what we think about you and who you've called us to be. God, change our lives through your word, your holy word uh, that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so first, I want us to talk about this unexpected salvation. In our minds, I think very often, we begin to think that Jesus saves those who are in the mood to clean up their life, in the mood that, that kind of look like they deserve salvation. But the truth is, is that Jesus saves people that we really never expected him to save, especially when we talk about this guy named Levi. I know you guys talked about him this morning <coughs> in Sunday school. This guy, Levi is a tax collector. In our modern vernacular, it's something along the lines of a loan shark. as the idea of a, of a traitor to his people. Usually the people who were tax collectors were folks who were collecting money for people like Herod, the dictator, who really treated his people horribly. In fact, these people didn't mind stealing from their brothers. They didn't mind stealing from the people in their home, homeland to give to the people who were oppressing their own nation. In fact, the tax collectors were lumped in the same group as thieves and murderers. Many times they were disowned by their families and families saw them as a, as a disgrace. And so Mark says that Levi here is a tax collector. And it doesn't say that Levi is trying to turn over a new leaf here. It says that he is at his tax booth. That means he's in the middle of 
uh, committing his sin. He's in the middle of ripping off his people. Like he's not in a program for recovering tax collectors. He didn't wake up that morning saying, hey, I, I need to get out of this business. I need a new job. Let me go find a new job. No, he's in the very act of sinning. And as he's in the very act of sinning, Jesus walks by him and he says, hey, follow me. It doesn't say clean up your act, buy you a suit, uh, and go and, and become good and then follow me. No, he looks at him while he's in the midst of his sin, while he's in the midst of robbing his own people, and he says, follow me. The fact is that Matthew, or Levi, is a very good sinner. And he's very good at making money at what he does. In fact, the fact that Mark tells us that Jesus is walking by the sea, the tax collectors that were by the sea, you know who they taxed? Fishermen. Who are Jesus' followers at this point? Fishermen. It's very likely that, that Levi had been taxing Peter and James and John. That would have been an awkward moment, right? Like, Jesus, are you sure? This dude's been ripping us off our whole life. Surely you don't mean for him to follow you. Surely he needs some penance before he joins in our group. No, he says, you follow me. Don't get cleaned up. Don't, don't go and, and get better. No, you follow me and you will, as you follow me, I will make you new. I will make you whole. And so what does Levi do? Very simply, Mark tells us that he leaves where he is at. He leaves his job and he follows Jesus. He doesn't tell Levi to do this list of things. He simply says, follow me. Trust on me. Allow me to be your new leader. Allow me to be your new boss. Become my disciple. To be someone's disciple is to follow a specific leader, a specific teacher, and do what they do. To mimic them in your own life. So come and watch me and do what I do. You know, sometimes we think of discipleship as learning. Like we know new things and we understand new things. It's all about study. It's all about lecture. You know, it's all about what we know and what we don't know. Discipleship, actually, though, when you look in the Bible... It's about what we do or don't do. It's about watching who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and then doing what he did and doing what he does. See, these men who were disciples of Jesus, they didn't hear only Jesus teach. They did hear him teach, but they also watched him live. When, when the Bible calls us, when Jesus calls us as Christians, as churches, to make disciples, Jesus is not saying go out and have a Bible study. That we should go out and have a Bible study, but it should not end there. If we're not doing life with people, we're not making disciples. If we don't have actual relationships with people, we're not making disciples. We're not fulfilling the purpose that He's called us to do. He doesn't say, Levi, come and get educated and know the books of the Bible. No, He says, come follow me. He doesn't say, come and hey, since you have all the answers now, He says, no, come and you will learn them as we go. We're talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Which of these disciples that followed Jesus had it all figured out from the get-go? Why do we think that? Like these guys are arguing with Jesus all the way through the Gospels. Yet they're His disciples. They never understand everything. They're still arguing with Him after He raises from the dead. They still don't get it. But they're following Him. They're learning new things every day. Don't think this morning that in order to follow Jesus, you've got to have all the answers. Don't think you've got to have it all figured out. Don't think you've got to be turning over a new leaf in order to follow Him. Now He calls you as you are. He calls you to follow Him as you are, even if you're in the midst of your sin. And so that's what Levi does. He follows Jesus. He walks away from his livelihood. He walks away from his job. 
Peter and James and John, they walk away from their nets. But later on, if they want to, in fact, we see that at the end of John's Gospel, they go back and they go fishing again. Because they leave fishing, you can pick fishing back up. Levi can't pick back up tax collecting. They, aren't, they got this position mostly by, by giving money because it was such a lucrative job. But once you gave it up, there's no going back. Like you don't give up a tax collector position and then get it back. It's gone. His form of income is gone. He goes from being a wealthy tax collector to a poor follower of Jesus. All because Jesus said, follow him. He doesn't say, now what's in it for me? He doesn't ask all these questions. He just gets up and follows him. This morning, this is what he's calling you to do. He doesn't care who you are, where you're from, or what you've done, in the words of the Backstreet Boys, right? As, anyway, but as long as you follow him, as you serve him, as you follow after his purpose in your life, give your life to him and follow him. And so we have this unexpected salvation, this unexpected grace shown to this man who does not deserve it, not even in the least. Maybe the, we, Crystal mentioned this in Sunday school. He, she mentioned that he, he's probably the most hated guy in town. Like nobody likes this guy. He's ripped everybody off. Can you imagine what type of person this is that would become a tax collector? Yet Jesus calls him to follow him. And then secondly, we have this unexpected acceptance. We see this in verse 15. Now, you know, we may be thinking, well, you know, Levi, he's sort of, Somebody on the outside, he's Jesus' token sinner. Everybody else is good folk, and you know, he's not going to associate with those sinner-type people. But look at verse 15 of Mark chapter 2. And as he reclined at table in his house, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So not only does Jesus call Levi to follow him, he goes home and eats with Levi. And not only does he go home and eat with Levi, Levi throws a party. And he says, hey, I'm going to invite all my friends, all my buddies, all my sinful friends to come over and hang out at my house with Jesus. The most holy man to ever walk the face of the planet is hanging out at a tax collector's house with tax collectors and sinners. And you're like, well, we're all sinners. Yeah, but what Mark means here is the same thing as what the Old Testament meant when it talked about the wicked. The wicked would have been the people, it's not that they mess up every now and then, it's that they don't even care. They're not even trying to live right. They enjoy their sin, they enjoy what they do, and they're not trying to get out of it by any stretch of the imagination. These would have been the prostitutes and the, and the tax collectors, the people who no one in town really liked, and the, the people in, ta- in town who everybody looked down on. This is who Jesus is spending his evening with. And he's doing it publicly. He's reclining with them. And they are reclining with him. To recline with someone in this culture, to eat with someone in this culture, is to say, I accept you. It's to say, I'm good with being your friend. I'm good with being in your presence. So, so picture this scene. The Son of God, the most holy man who ever lived, is eating with prostitutes and loan sharks, drug dealers, and they're comfortable hanging out with him. Talk about a bad image if you're looking for the, the holy religious image, right? People are going to talk. We'll see that here in a minute. And James and John and the disciples were out there with him. But, but notice this phrase, guys. It's not just that he was spending time with him. It says, for there were many who followed him. That's key. 
Jesus wasn't hanging out with them just to hang. No, he was intentional. He wanted to show them a better way. He wanted to show them himself. He wanted to show them that he is the one they are to follow, not themselves, that he is the one that is to be boss in their life, not them. He was spending time with them because he cared about them and he wanted to see them uh, have a future with him. He wanted to see them follow him. And guess what? As they realized that he cared about them, as he realized that, that he accepted them, guess what happened? They followed him. He was willing to share a meal with them, to become friends with them, in order to show them himself, in order to show them grace. And these lost people became saved people. They became Jesus followers. Now, of course, we need to qualify that by saying, Jesus isn't saying it's good to stay where you are. No, he calls them lost. He calls them sick. He calls them sinners. But he calls them from that to himself. He makes clear <coughs> that he offers a new and a better life. He makes clear that he has what they need to change. Grace and hope and love and forgiveness through faith in him, through following him. So, so Jesus, he, he saves those we would never expect. He accepts those we would never expect. But he also rejects those we wouldn't expect him to reject. Look in verses 16 and 17. We see this unexpected rejection. And the scribes of the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so basically the religious people have come up on the scene and they lose their mind. They say, some holy man, here he is eating with all these tax collectors and sinners. I thought he said he was the Son of God. I thought he said he was the Savior. I can't believe he's allowing himself to be made unclean with all these sinners. What will people say? What sort of reputation is he trying to uphold? Hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and the like. We can never respect a man like that. It made me remember, and I may have shared with you guys before, uh, when I was in seminary, one of our professors stood up one day and he was just talking about being above reproach and you know not letting anything happen to your reputation so that you could stay above reproach. And I, I get where he was coming from, but he said, you know, the, the Bible tells us that we're to be above reproach. And, and he said, and that's why I would never share the gospel with someone who's a prostitute. And, and he said, because I wouldn't want anyone to think anything bad of me. And, and this passage it just kind of came to my mind and I was like, isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus hang out with the people that people said you shouldn't spend time with? So you're telling me that, that this person who has been so beat up by life that they're having to sell their body and maybe even in this position because of being a, a victim of human trafficking, you're telling me you would rather them go to hell than someone think ill of you? That you care more about your reputation than you do this person's soul? What, what has happened to us that when we become more holy than Jesus? When Jesus is okay spending time and talking with those who are sinners, but we're too holy to do that. I mean, like I said, I get where he was coming from, but Jesus' reputation was terrible, guys. The religious people hated him. They called him a friend of sinners. They talked about him all the time. 
Why do we care so much? We need to be careful that we don't think of ourselves as more holy than Jesus. We need to be careful that we don't do what the Pharisees were doing, which is to stand outside and judge those who have no relationship with Christ because they don't look like us. I'm afraid that we do that sometimes, don't we? Don't we do all we can to only spend our time with other Christians? Spend all of our time in Bible studies with other Christians, Sunday school with other Christians, Christian prayer meetings, Christian play dates, Christian you know, groups of everything that we can think of. We only go to restaurants that play Christian music. Spend all this time with other believers. And then we wonder why we never lead anyone who doesn't know Christ to the Lord. And it's because we never meet anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Because unlike Jesus, who spent his time with those who didn't know him, we want to spend all of our time with people like us. We end up having more of an attitude like the Pharisees than we do like Jesus. We have to be careful, guys. When's the last time you spent some time with someone who's not a Christian? Who actually listened to what's going on in their lives? Actually heard what they had to say? That's what Jesus did. He reclined with those who everyone else looked down on. Why do we wait on the church to provide us opportunities for evangelism? I've never quite understood this. Like we think that the only time we can share the gospel is if the church, you know, organizes it for us. I wonder if we actually spent time in our life with those who weren't believers, what would happen? When's the last time you spent time with those who are not believers for the purpose of leading them to Christ? That's the best way we can share the gospel. That's the best way we can see people come to know Christ and not be like these Pharisees who were more concerned with what people thought than with people coming to know the Lord of the universe. See, Jesus came not to heal those who thought they were righteous. He came to heal the sick. So the Pharisees, they think that these tax collectors and sinners aren't worthy of salvation. Jesus says they are. And then also these Pharisees think that they don't need salvation. Look again at verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, why would I turn away those I came to save? Why would I not spend time with those I came to redeem and make well? Why would I not spend time with them? Why would I not do everything I can to lead them to grace, to lead them to salvation? And he says, and secondly, it's like you guys don't understand your need of grace. You stand outside and judge me and them when you should be in here asking me how you can be saved. He's saying, if you do not understand that you are a sinner and that you're sick, i got nothing for you. I have nothing to offer you. If you do not understand that you need me, i got nothing for you. It's sort of like a couple years ago, well, not a couple years ago, a lot of years ago, um, found out I had high blood pressure. And so I didn't really like taking the medicine. Uh, it made me tired. It made me gain weight. At least that's what I blamed it on. You know how you look for something to blame it on. It wasn't what I was eating. was the fact I wasn't exercising. had to be the blood pressure medicine. So I quit taking the blood pressure medicine on my own. Went back to the doctor a year or two later, and he's like, how's things going? I'm like, good. He's like, I see you used to take this blood pressure medicine. Why don't you take it anymore? I was like, I don't need that. It's fine. I can handle it. He's like, yeah, you can if you don't mind being on dialysis in a few years. I was like, oh, well, give me that medicine back, right? All of a sudden, I realized I needed what this doctor was offering. 
The same is true in our lives, guys. If you don't understand that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy, you won't get it. He has come to call the, the sick to be healed. He's called, called the, the sinner to be made, saved, to be made whole. If you won't admit that you are a sinner, Jesus has nothing for you. If you've never admitted that you are guilty before a holy God, I want to ask you to do that even now. Ask Jesus to save you even now. Ask Him to forgive you even now. Ask Him to redeem you even now. Let, let me just finish with, with this. I want to give us a, a few different takeaways from what we see in this passage. First, I think this passage informs us as a church body what sort of people we should be. I was thinking about a story that I'd read several years ago, and I think back on every now and then, about a, a young man named Bill. Bill was a, a guy who had real long hair. You know, he, he didn't really look the part of a church person. He didn't have shoes. You know, he, he, was, he was a hippie, you know, basically. And he, he had gotten saved at college, and he had been going to the, the local campus Bible study, and he really enjoyed it. He enjoyed learning about Jesus, but he felt like there was more. There was something he was missing. And so across the street from the college, there was a church. He said, I'm going to go over there and check them out, see what they have to say, and learn more about Jesus. And so he walked in, and not being a church person, he didn't know what time they started. They'd already started church, and he walked in, and the preacher's up in the pulpit, and you know everybody's in there all dressed and, and, and nice looking, and you know, everybody's in suits and things, and here Bill is with no shoes, and you know, it's clear that he hadn't brushed his hair in a long time. And, you know, he, he just kind of looks out of place. Hardwood floors, and so everything's really loud. And as he's walking in, everybody's kind of staring at him like, dude, you're messing up our service here. Like, I was just about to hear from the Holy Spirit, and you're messing me up, right? When he begins to walk down in their typical Baptist, everybody sits on the outside. The inside's empty, but nobody's letting him in, right? I mean, he, he's walking down, nowhere to sit. And so finally he gives up, and he sits down in the middle of the aisle. In the, in the college Bible study, that was okay. So he seemed to be okay here. And everybody's just kind of like, I can't believe you just sat on the floor. About this time, one of the, the deacons of the church, an older man, his 80s, very well-dressed, very well-kept, down to the pocket watch and canes, gets up out of his seat in the pew. And he begins to walk his way over to Bill. Very slowly, of course. Everybody's watching, just knowing there's something about to, to happen. No one, you know, this guy, he can't help it. He, he can't understand somebody like Bill. And, and he finally gets to where Bill is sitting in the floor. <laughs> and he lays his cane down. And he sits in the floor next to him. And the preacher, when he can finally talk again, looks at him and he says, guys, you're not going to remember anything I say. So I really hope you don't forget that. It, you see, if we as a church become a church that focuses on what people look like, on their background, if we focus on the fact that they're sinners and they don't look like us and they don't deserve salvation, you know what's going to happen? We're going to stop being a church and become like the people who killed Jesus. We must make sure that we have the heart of Christ that says, I want to see people come to know Jesus. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach out to them. If that's not our heart and that's not our passion and that's not our mission, then we're not a church. And then secondly, I'll just say this to you. You may be here and you may be saying, God can never use me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I'm doing. Tell that to Levi. Here he is sitting in the middle of his sin. Jesus walks by and says, you follow me. He gets up and follows him. That very night, Levi is leading his friends 
to the Lord. It didn't even take him a day. He didn't even make it to Sunday school and he's already making other disciples. Don't tell me God can't use you. As I mentioned earlier, we also call him Matthew. You know, the, the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel, one of the, most, one of the four probably most, not probably, is one of the four most important documents in the entire world. Yet God used Matthew or Levi to write one of them. Don't tell me God can't use you. He can use you this morning. What's he calling you to he calling you to do for him who's he calling you to reach out to that you've been afraid to and then if you've never trusted on christ you've never put your faith in him don't think that you got to have it all figured out or you got to get all cleaned up to come to jesus he calls you to come to him as you are he doesn't say get it all figured out and then come see me he doesn't say make sure you can pass this test before you come see me he says follow me and you'll figure it out as you go it's the best way to live life I'm going to figure it out as I go. Jesus, you just show me the next step and I'll take it. You show me the next step and I'll take that. If you've never done that, would you do that this morning? And if you have, if you've fallen Christ but you've stumbled, can I tell you, he could tell you the same thing. Come back to me and follow me. Get right back up from where you are and you put one foot in the front of the other and you follow me. See, because Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't just say follow me. He actually walks all the way to the cross. And on the cross, you guys know this, we just talked about this last week, we talk about it every week. On the cross, He paid for your sins. That's why He can forgive your sins, because He paid the bill. He paid the full debt, and He says, if you will believe on Me, if you will follow Me, you're free and clear. You're saved, and you will have eternal life with Me. So you just follow Me, and let Me worry about the rest. Maybe this morning you need to trust on Him. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded of the fact that you are a sinner saved by grace, and He's calling you to follow Him. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded there are people in your life that you gave up on that you need to go back to and say, hey, you know what? You need the gospel and you need Jesus more than I need people. what people think about me. Share the gospel with them. If you would, pray with me. And after I pray, we'll have a, a time of invitation. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. God, I thank you that your great love for us is unmatched. Lord, I thank you that your grace is always greater than our sin. God, that you call us to, to follow you no matter who we are. Lord, that you show us a Savior who loves us no matter who we are or what we've done. God, that you show us grace and mercy and salvation no matter where we're from. Lord, I pray that here in this place, God, if there's any who don't know you, that they would come to know you. God, that you would renew in us a heart and a desire to see people come to know you, people who are far from you. God, would you renew in us a hope and, and, and a dream of seeing people in our lives come to know you? God, would you restore to those who have given up hope, hope for grace, hope for mercy, hope for salvation, for themselves and for those in their lives. Lord, help us now as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stand with us, we're going to sing, and as we sing, would you come? Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus.